0: Ciao e benvenuti a Kimberly's Italy Welcome to part two, parte due, of Milano Where life is anything but dull My name is Kimberly Holcomb and I am here with Tommaso Buongiorno, amore Buongiorno Let's go, andiamo <laughs> Va bene I'd like to start where I left off the other day about the Duomo in Milano because I didn't have time to tell you about the rooftop. The nickname of the top of the cathedral, Il Duomo, was Duomo Beach. And they called it that because you could actually go lay down on a big slab of marble and prende sole, take some sun, as they say. We did. <laughs> we did. <laughs> it's hot and beautiful. And this, the rooftop of the cathedral is huge. It's basically the same length as the nave. And it's stunning. But the other nickname, uh, the other part of the nickname Duomo Beach, is because that's where all the typical young Italian couples would go to make out. We weren't. We weren't making out. We weren't Italian. We weren't Italian, but we we did have a kiss. Okay. But we weren't young either. No, we weren't young.
1: That's for damn sure.
0: (laughs) Anyway, the reason they'd all go up there is because, you know, Italians are very passionate and romantic people. And they... In case they were dating someone their parents maybe didn't approve of, it was the one place they could go and never get caught by a neighbor or the aunt or the cousin seeing them making out on the street in Parco Sempione or somewhere. (laughs) So they would go to the top of the Duomo because there was no way their parents were going to climb the 919 stone steps in this teeny spiral claustrophobic Staircase up to the top. Nowadays, they have an elevator for to make life easier for everybody else. But most of the tourists, and myself included, would go to the rooftop to marvel at the incredible amount of statues. Those same life-size statues I told you about earlier, and they're all freestanding on top of these spires of this pink-hued white marble that came from the Condolia quarries, like uh, sixty miles, hundred. Kilometers north of uh, Milano. That is a long way to move chunks of marble all the way in the back in the 13th century. They did it for love. That's right. Anyway, it's a stunning church inside and out, and I highly recommend going to the top. And if you do choose to do that when you next go to Italy, hopefully, when the country opens up, opens back up this summer, definitely purchase all the tickets online, each cathedral, Duomo, Chiesa, Basilica, they all have their own websites and you need to order those kind of tickets online beforehand. So, and first of all, I'd also like to mention that we're not drinking wine tonight as we did. No, we didn't pop the
1: cork, did we? No. no.
0: You know why? It's a Monday. It's a Monday. (laughs) (laughs) It's been COVID. (laughs) We'll, We'll make sure to plan our schedule better and record on Thursdays and Fridays. No,
1: I think we're going to record next Sunday, and I think we're going to have Bellini's, as I remember.
0: Oh, that's right. Prosecco and peach nectar. See? Okay. So, anyway, we're not drinking while recording this, but I want to tell you another little tidbit, if you remember from our introductory episode where we mentioned Stanley Tucci. I said he might have been the impetus for us getting this podcast produced and getting it out there because he started that Finding Italy, I think it's called. On. He, he
1: jumped on it because he knew we were coming. He knew okay. we were coming down the path. Okay.
0: Anyway, we thought, okay, he's doing the right thing. Everyone wants to get back to Italy, so let's do it. But the small world story I want to share about Stanley Tucci and one of my Milanese neighbors is in the apartment. I moved to on Via Meda with Juan after we left my first legitimate apartment. One of our neighbors down on the left was, a, is, was, but still is, an awesome Italian man named Emiliano. He was a photographer as well, but he shot all kinds of things, not just fashion. And at one point, he was down in Tuscany, I think, assisting another photographer, videographer, and they were filming a famous chef with these cooking classes. And Emiliano met Anna, or Anna, an American woman that was there taking the course. So, they fell in love. He went there. She came back. It carried on for a while. And they eventually moved to Brooklyn and got married, I guess. And they opened a trattoria named Al Dila. So, they, those three little words, Al là have a couple meanings. One of them is like on the other side, or it can mean beyond, and it also can mean heaven. So as far as I'm concerned, là is heaven. It is heaven, yes. It is heaven. There's no promo here. We're not getting any no, kickback yeah, yeah. from Emiliano. Well, yeah. I mean, no, I love Emiliano. Yeah, you no, know, we love but <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, we're not getting that no. It's heaven. The Malfatti she makes, this spinach the cheesy thing. Oh. Anyway. Aldila, they were in their first or second year of business in Park Slope, Brooklyn. And all of a sudden, one night, Stanley Tucci came in and had dinner. So I'm not sure if it was during dinner or after, but he called Frank Bruni, who was the New York Times restaurant critic. And Frank Bruni showed up unannounced the next week. And that's all it took. Aldila is, in my opinion, Tom's opinion, Stanley's opinion, the best restaurant in all of New York City. It has it is magical. It is. And they're still operating it and running it and anyway, that's that's our small Stanley Tucci story. Okay? Now, back to Milano and the things you should see and do. So if someone wanted to visit Milano today and they did some research, they'd hear or read about the hip new zone, zona called the Navigli. So Naviglio It means canal. Neville is multiple canals. So this is the go-to hipster place. Really cool restaurants and old hotels renovated from old buildings. Tons of art galleries and design shops. And it's just quite the place. And there's the famous passeggiata that all Italians do early evening. Just walk around a specific neighborhood to see friends. You all do the passeggiata. Passaggiato there and you end up having some bar having an aperitivo and the best little sweet spot in the Navigli is this teeny little wood door it's it's at number 43 Ripa di Ticinese which is the name of the little street on the side of the Naviglio. and it's seriously just a wood door and a teeny slot in a window you knock on it it's one of these like secret bars I think I think our friend Stanley did a little segment on this in Rome, right? I was in Rome or Florence. Okay. Anyway, you knock on the little window; it slides up. You don't see anybody. You tell them what you'd like. The thing slides back down. A few minutes later, out the thing, the door slides back up. Out comes your drink with the bartender's hand. You give them the money. A eh? finito. <laughs> That's it. You have your drink. Anyway, during the time that I lived in on that. Apartment Via Maida and the other apartment next to Signora Bernini that I talked about last time. Those apartments were one block from the Naviglio or Nivelli. And in those days the Navigli were Fa Schifo, which means disgusting. The water was mucky and gross, the buildings were old, it smelled and most importantly, it was filled with zanzare. <laughs> Mosquitoes. Tons and tons of mosquitoes. And you don't really think, I don't think of cities with mosquitoes. Like Manhattan doesn't really have mosquitoes. Paris doesn't have mosquitoes. But these navili were a breeding ground for zanzare. Out of control, big, huge, endless amounts of zanzare. So the Italian way of dealing with zanzare was a thing called a vape. Now, that's where I got the name of, you know, when these electronic cigarettes came out here in the United States. Not to be
1: confused with a vape, as we call it here. Right,
0: right. They're called vapes. But I just saw the word printed and immediately started calling them vapes. But that's not what a vape in Italy is. It's this little green coil thing, like five inches. It's like one of those old-fashioned electric coil stoves, stovetops. It was like four or five inches and... You plug it into an electric outlet in your wall. The vape goes into the wall and it and burns starts, down slowly in ash. And starts stinking the place up, emitting like toxic chemicals. You know, it's gnarly bad stuff and they think it kills the mosquitoes. <laughs> well, it doesn't. Okay. I know that from firsthand experience. So... On one of my trips home to visit my parents, my dad took me into a hardware store and we bought one of those rolls of fiberglass mosquito netting. You know, the old ones were like a metal-y thing, and now they made these in fiberglass rolls. And I thought, oh my God, my life is going to be forever changed. I'll change all of Italy. It'll be... You'll be the the screen importer (laughs) in Italy. You'll own the marketplace. Well, I tried and it didn't, <laughs> well, let's go try. well at all. <laughs> so my dad sends me back, uh, you know, I get on the plane, I have this big roll of mosquito netting. So the very first night I got home, I was like, okay, I'm going off to the Ferramenta. Remember the hardware store with Roberto, the old man that taught me how to roll my R's? Like,
1: he had the mole.
0: Yes. Roberto the, big, with hairy, the very mole. hairy mole. So I went in and explained to Roberto what I wanted to do, get these little wooden strapping pieces, and then staple gun the mosquito netting to a frame. Make a frame. Put them in the window. He's like, "Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you go. Whatever you want to do." I buy the stuff. I get back home. As I explained, I think earlier, most of these apartment buildings have an interior courtyard, and then your the access to your apartment is on a long balcony climb up your stairs in the corner and you enter your apartment on the balcony off the balcony I'm outside on the balcony because that was the only place I could put in my little wood frames with the mosquito netting and I've got like this little wooden step stool and I'm trying to put this stuff in so all of a sudden I start hearing some kind of chatting behind me and whatnot. I look around there's the old widows all the old ladies living on the other side they're like que esta what are you doing? I was like, oh, this is for the Zanzare. They're like, cosa? So they all run over and I explain it. And they said, it's not going to work. <laughs> I was like, yes, it will. I swear. Come back tonight when it gets dark. And so the summer in Milan, you know, gets it's late till 10 p.m. They came back. I think they stayed up late. They got all excited. They came back. That's some boxed wine. I left. <laughs> yeah. Probably friends with Signora (laughs) (laughs) Bergamaschi. So anyway, I left my kitchen lights off and the living room lights off and I got him in my kitchen and I turned the lights on full blast, every single light. And the Zanzara, you could hear him like, they were, they were really attacking, attacking. They were so upset. They couldn't get in and it kind of confused them. The Italian mosquitoes had never seen this before and they were kind of mad so the Italian women all of a sudden were like, oh, incredible, non, non lo credo. I don't believe it. It's working. I was like, see, I told you. I can call my dad. And import and, a container of screening. ask him if he could send a couple rolls. And, and I didn't even finish the sentence. And the women were like, oh, uh, no, 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 no. Okay, v- vado via, I've got to go. No, no, no. And they never mentioned it again. There's like no way they're going to try something that an Italian person didn't invent. (laughs) They probably went home and plugged in their stinky, toxic vape, and that was the end of that. Now that I think of it, actually, I kept those old ladies, my neighbors, busy gossiping for all the years I lived there. One day, Juan told me, hey, Kim, do you mind? I I told this guy, Joel, that he could uh, stay in our extra room, Joel being a... Male model. And so I thought, mm, okay, another model. Oh,
1: force, force yourself.
0: Fly. Force
1: yourself. The common thread in Milan is good-looking, marginally good-looking men hanging out in your apartment.
0: All right, Right. well, Joel, Joel wasn't marginally good-looking. <laughs> this guy was like an Adonis. <laughs> however, well, not however, but he was really, really nice and very low-key, and I actually preferred the male models because they looked at a modeling career as a couple of years to travel, see the world and just have fun while you're young. There was no vanity involved. I, I actually really liked all the male models. So anyway, one day I came home. Joel had been living there for a couple of weeks maybe. And I came into the courtyard, that center courtyard, and I see the old Italian women and they're up on the fourth, fifth and third balconies. And They've got their hands over their mouths and they're whispering to each other. One woman literally was like crossing herself. And <laughs> La Madonna, please. <laughs> to your meal. And I was like, oh my God, what's going on? And they were looking in the direction of my apartment. So I go running up the five flights of stairs with my Karen bag or portfolio, whatever it was. And I turn onto the balcony and there's Joel standing there with like boxers on. They look like a bathing suit, though. You know, it's fine. They weren't tidy whities thank God. No. Okay. He's standing there with just like a bathing suit equivalent on and he is shaving his chest hair, okay? <laughs> so these women were seeing for the first time in their life a man voluntarily...
1: Manscaping.
0: ...removing body hair. Italian men don't do that. So they were shocked, horrified, and just couldn't get over it and Joel's like I'm so sorry it's just I know you're a neat freak and I didn't think I should do it inside (laughs) so anyway I gave those ladies a lot to laugh about or gossip about all right so enough of the mosquitoes and the chest hair let me move back to some of my favorite things that you should definitely see when you're in Milano and one of them another favorite building of mine like the Accademia di Bella Arte is a, castel- a castle, Castello Sforza. The full name is Castello Sforzesca, but that's a mouthful. So Castello Sforza is in the middle of the city, super convenient and you can't miss it. It's a big brick castle where a, you know modern city built up around it. And it's ancient. It was built in the late 1300s primarily as, you know, a fort, a castle for defense purposes. Then it became a private residence for a family. And then the daughter of that family married this military leader named Francesco Sforza, hence the name. So he and his wife ruled the city for a while and then added on to it. And then hundreds of years later, it became improved, renovated. And today, it's absolutely stunning. In my day, it was a little run down. And now it is a beautiful place. You can spend half a day there. There's museums inside on the history of it. There's libraries, just like the academia, with incredible drawings and architectural renderings, and it, it's just amazing. The art, There's specific art museums, and some of the works of art will just, as I said before, stop you in your tracks. And there is a sculpture by Michelangelo, his last sculpture, a pieta of the Virgin Mary, yet a standing pieta, where she's holding the dead body of her son. He worked on it for the last 10 years of his life, yet it remained unfinished. It stands alone in a room with a vaulted ceiling. Half of the walls are the original stone from, you know, 1300, and the other half have some plaster on it. So as things would change or decay or renovate, the modern Italians just preserve them as is so you can see hundreds of different years of surfaces and there is this sculpture of Michelangelo lit from above that's it in this long narrow vaulted ceiling room and it's just breathtaking and I keep thinking every time I'm in a situation like that that you view an artwork whether it's by Michelangelo or someone you've never heard of in a building that's as incredible as the art you're staring at to me it just triples the intensity of what you're looking at so no offense to MoMA and modern uh, you know museums there's something about art in Italy and how they display it that is unique to old European countries
1: well they've had they've had a few more years to practice
0: (laughs) it's a stunning place and there's also uh a uh, vaulted ceiling painted by Leonardo da Vinci in one of the rooms that was uncovered later. And there's a Madonna and Child painting by Andrea Mantegna, who's another Renaissance master. So worth the visit inside all these museums and just walking through the building itself. Then the outside, there's gardens and parks filled with monuments that you can spend hours in. And it's also a very popular place that parked outside the Castello Sforza for the same young couples making out on Duomo Beach, mm. they're there. They mix things up. They mix things up. <laughs> okay. Another favorite place does not may not be for everyone, but Cimitero Monumentale, the main cemetery. It is unlike any cemetery or graveyard you have ever seen. It's also in the city. It's easy to get to, but there are ornate and incredible mausoleums tombs sculptures fresh flowers fake flowers it's an overload of marble and in a good way and there's also all the old widows and widowers and they're like flailing themselves on the ground and hugging the tombstones and crying is that an
1: italian tradition
0: well if it's like Uh, you know, a death within like 20 years. Well, still pretty
1: emotional. If I precede you, I hope you maintain that tradition, please.
0: (laughs) Anyway, I really love this cemetery. I love cemeteries in general, old European cemeteries, because the mausoleums, the tombs, the sculptures, they're works of art as well. Truly incredible. And it's just very different from our culture. But this... Cimitero Monumentale in Milano also has a lot of influential people buried there. For example, this is awesome name, Gaspare Campari. Ah. Uh-huh. The man that invented Campari. He was a you know life changer to the Italians, and his family's it's not a mausoleum, it's this long kind of tomb thing. It's incredible. And worth seeing and having a drink there. And Franco Moschino, the famous fashion designer, is buried there. Toscanini, the famous conductor and cellist. And Alessandro Manzoni. He was a very famous poet and novelist. And he is supposedly the one responsible for the Italian language the way it is now. I think the transformation from Latin to modern Italian language is thanks to Alessandro Manzoni. And Via Manzoni is one of the biggest streets in all of Milan. The longest street, so that says something. Because you know most Italian streets, let's say it's uh, half a mile long, it will have five names, <laughs> right? You never know where it stops and where the new name starts. And that's something you don't know till you live there and you're trying to find number 22 via Manzoni and all of a sudden you're on another street. I'll just quickly mention the famous shopping district, which is called or referred to primarily as Via Monte Napoleone. And that's just the name of one street, but that's just what the area is called. And it's a grid of maybe six or eight streets, and it houses all the famous fashion brands and the Armani Hotel, which is built in this old monastery, and it's the most tasteful thing ever, as you can imagine. And the reason it's worth walking around Via Monte Napoleone is to see the windows of these stores. The Italians can dress windows like no other. It's fun to see the people and how finely they're dressed. Um, but it's quite pricey, and you're not really allowed in unless you are you look like you can afford it. I did. I looked like I could afford it. I was there.
1: I, really? I, yeah. Stop it. I remember that Christmas? <laughs> well, you did?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah.
1: And, you know, when you go in there... It's not about, there's like not a lot of stuff around. You have to actually ask them for what you want. And they unfold these beautiful, beautiful scarves and whatever you're buying. I bought a suit and some scarves for everyone. You bought me a scarf. Yes, Mm -hmm. you still have it. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is just amazing the way they present it. It's like, I'm going over here to bring out this treasure (laughs) to show you this.
0: And And it's worth your... Paycheck of two months. Yes. So. But you know what? It is worth it. That scarf is the finest wool, the softest, most incredible feeling thing I own. I so. hope
1: I hope when you're mourning me and flailing, you'll wear it.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, the other thing I want to mention about Via Monte Napoleone is that, yep, I'm going back to Napoleon Bonaparte. Did I mention earlier that he's really Napoleone Bonaparte? See. Si. You did. Okay, I did. So he had a lot to do with Milan. They named that big street that's the most fancy street in all of Milano after him. He also was in charge of getting the Duomo finished because it had taken them centuries to finish the facade. And he also had a hand in La Scala. So Napo, as they call him, he was a busy man. <laughs> he did a lot of good. And most importantly, he was Italian. Okay, just don't forget. He was not French, no. No. no, He was a mm. imposter. Mm-hmm. Okay, so another thing I'd like to share with you is another one of my favorite churches. And again, I keep referring to churches because it's a combination of architecture, art, history, and an experience that you get visually and sensually in terms of where it's located and the gardens they have. You should remind the
1: women that they have to wear something,
0: Oh yes, you cannot have your shoulders or your knees exposed. Thank you very much. You will be turned away, and same with men, no shorts. so and no tank tops I, ex, no yeah, right. <laughs> Good idea. anyway, so um thank you for recalling that anyway, Basilica San Ambrogio. so this basilica was right up the street from my first apartment, the first legit apartment with Juan. So to get anywhere, I had to walk by Basilica San Ambrogio, and I was just mesmerized by it. San Ambrogio is from the medieval ages, and that staggered me every single time I walked into it, which I did almost daily. It was started in three seventy nine and took less than ten years to build. That's not a long
1: time for an Italian church. I mean some of these places have taken centuries.
0: Oh right. The Duomo took six centuries, right? right? right. But this started San Brosho as, you know, a small basilica. And over the years it was added on to. Like in ten eighty. There's another, you know, convent or something. But over the years it's been added on to and now actually it looks a little more Romanesque than it probably did in 370 AD. But it is stunning. And there are stone and brick walls on the exterior of the original building from the medieval ages under these portico-type vaulted ceilings. And within those walls, the original walls, are these relief sculptures. They're just embedded in the walls. And as you walk under this portico, colonnade, and you look at these, and then you think about how old it is, and you just keep looking back at these relief sculptures, and they've worn down with weather and time and pollution and whatnot, but I'm just mesmerized by the place. And I also, you know, witnessed a lot of uh, weddings there, and what do you call it, when a priest becomes a priest? Ordained. Yes. So I've seen a lot there because I literally would go to that place all the time. So if you do go to San Ambrosio, which I also highly recommend, if you do go, take a look, make sure you take a look at the white column marble, which is right to the side of the courtyard, and look for the two distinct holes drilled into it by the devil.
1: Yep. I just want to say that you're not proposing here a religious pilgrimage with all these churches. You are just happen to be a fan of the architecture. I just love
0: the art inside, the architecture, everything about it. But these two holes in that marble column gored in there because that devil couldn't uh, seduce the Saint Ambrose, Saint Ambrosio. Anyway, that's how this story goes. And
1: you've always, as we've traveled Italy, you've always said, oh, let's go see this church. Let's go see this church. Yes. I'm like, where can we get pizza and a beer? <laughs> we <laughs> and a always, yeah,
0: you always get one afterward. Yeah, yeah. But come on, you love them too. <laughs> yeah, they're beautiful. They're, you can see artwork in every single church as good as museums around the world. So that's my thing. And also, don't forget, these churches are open. Most of the day, most of the night, they're free, the smaller ones, and they're cool, as in temperature. Because June, July, August, September are so hot, and you'll see foreigners, expats, in the churches more than Italians in those summer months. And they're not praying. (laughs) No, just wiping off sweat and cooling down. Okay, so... The most important artwork and the most famous thing in all of Milano, of course, is La Ultima Cena, The Last Supper by Leonardo da Vinci. It's also called the Cenacola Vinciano, which, funny enough, translates closer to dinner by Vinci. (laughs) And that's on on the uh, website of the church. And it is in another awesome church, Santa Maria della Grazie. And on their website, they call it Cenacola Vinciano, and that, dinner, dinner by Vinciano. And that's a place you really have to make reservations,
1: Wayne, events, yes. because it is climate controlled.
0: And you get like eight minutes, right? a group of eight people, right. eight minutes. Don't breathe, hold your breath. But it is worth it. Yeah, It is completely worth it. And this church, Santa Maria della Grazia, is this, from the exterior, simple terracotta renaissance church and inside it's half and half it's like ornately gothic and some of the domes and then so simplistic on the other side and just this location it's on this uh, stone street one of the oldest streets in all of milano with the metal tracks for the trams and this tram drives by you know all day long for hundreds of years right next to this church with the Last Supper, painted on the wall. And you would think things would start to crack or fall apart, but no, that painting is there in all its glory, and it's the only part of the the church that survived the bombing during World War II on August 15th. It's a very famous day Hmm. in Milan because of that. Some of the engineers for the church figured out a, framework of sandbags and whatnot to try to preserve the Last Supper, knowing most likely that the Germans would attack something that important. And they did, and it survived. That's a little goosebump story, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is. If you go to Milan, definitely go see La Ultima Cena and this beautiful church. I might actually have to do a whole other episode on the restaurants of Milano in the future because I might be running out of time. But let me share with you my favorite place and probably the place I spent the most time in my six years in Milano. It's called Bar Magenta. It's on Corso Magenta, and there's the name. And they opened it in 1907. It's actually right down the street from La Ultima Cena. They opened their doors in 1907, and I highly doubt the interior has changed much since. So I would have my cappuccio, remember the nickname for cappuccino, I'd have my cappuccio in the morning there after I finally decided. Found heaven, as you um, said. No, trovato dio, I found God. Found and, God, Same And uh, okay. started drinking coffee. And for lunch, I'd go by and have a salad or a panini, and then, of course, the aperitivo hour, which was, well, since it was located, Bar, uh, bar Magenta, so close to all the modeling agencies... Imagine the crowd <laughs> at an aperitivo <laughs> evening. And there were so many young Italian men hanging out there and trying you to... You wonder know. why. Uh-huh. Female models from all over the world. All of them with these incredible figures and pretty and laughing. And, oh, it was just... This place was... This place was al là. La. <laughs> it was heaven. <laughs> anyway. It's also... At Bar Magenta, where I made the absolute worst mistake of speaking the language ever. (laughs) Tom knows this story. And here it goes, as embarrassing as it is. So I was with a few Italian friends, these guys from the photo studio that worked at the photo studio, and we all decided to go to Bar Magenta for our long drink, as they call cocktails, a long drink. And a long drink in Italy, mostly, contains a long, narrow glass with, like, two small ice cubes. So the gin and tonica that I normally would order, I didn't because they don't serve lime with it, just lemon. I just didn't feel right. So a couple weeks earlier, I had a sip of another friend's drink where she had rum or vodka or something with grapefruit juice. And... The juices in Italy were unlike anything I ever had, like the peach nectar and mango juice, the orange juice and grapefruit juice. They were just amazing. So, the guys I was with ordered whatever they did and I thought, oh, I'm going to have a vodka and grapefruit juice. So, I said to the bartender, io vorrei, I would like, please, un vodka e pompelmo, which means grapefruit, but I didn't say Pompelmo. I said a word that sounds like Pompelmo, but it wasn't Pompelmo and it wasn't a grapefruit. Pompino. Don't say it. Don't say it. All right. Don't pretend you didn't hear that. The word I said meant a sex act. Okay. It wasn't a grapefruit. The friends I was with cried laughing. They were dying laughing so hard the bartender w- was just like flushing and trying not to laugh and oh my god it was the worst thing ever
1: next, next twisted is, <laughs> instantaneous speed at the bar oh, next
0: <laughs> twisted <laughs> no luckily it was like a busy hour you know a pair of cocktail happy hour and no one except the guys and the bartender heard it because ah. oh jeez. anyway so my advice knowing this My advice to anyone traveling to Italy trying to speak the little Italian that they do know, just never, ever order anything with a grapefruit, and you'll be fine. Just let's leave it at that. Okay? Now, before we go, I have to tell a quick little last story about Bar Magenta. It's surprising that I spent so much time there because I asked for the sex act drink, and then this happened. So one aperitivo early evening I was outside by myself and I met this guy whose name will remain unspoken he seemed super nice friendly, Italian, my age and I later came to realize that he was most likely mafia a low level was he a Vito Corleone or a Tony
1: Soprano mafia look like oh was-
0: Vito Corleone oh yeah <laughs> he, this was no Soprano thing right <laughs> But he was probably, now that I think back, a low level player, most likely, you know, but nonetheless, he was nice. He was engaging. He loved telling me about the history of all things Italian. He was a a proud Italian and had a, he had a beautiful name and a beautiful speaking voice. And I thought, this is awesome because I had just moved there. I'd only been there maybe two months and I thought, this is great. I think I was still living in the apartment of Signora Bernini, so I didn't know many people and I was staying in at night, you know, trying to learn Italian. So I thought this is great. I can, uh, you know, go have pizza with this guy and do whatever and learn some Italian and have a friend. So we did just that. He would take me to pizzerias and we ne- he never seemed to have to pay for the dinner. <laughs> We would walk in like Parco Sempione, which is a big park, or the Castello Sforza Park. And these guys would kind of come up to him and like slip something in his hand or his pocket. And I thought, well, what is that? Like a token for the tram? Or <laughs> <laughs> I was so naive, right? I had never met a mafia and I didn't ever watch that Godfather movie because it was too much violence. But, you know, I knew about it. Anyway. Things progressed a couple months there and it, it was fine. But then all of a sudden he um, offered to take me to his family's home for Christmas. Cause since I had just moved there in October and this was like, you know, November beginning of December, he asked what I was going to do for Christmas. I was like, Oh nothing, you know, Oh my God, you have to do something for Christmas in Italy. That's for sure. You go to church a thousand times and all these special dinners and whatnot. So I said, Well, okay, that's really nice. Where did they live? And he's like, way down south. I was like, nice. (laughs) What's the name of the town? (laughs) So anyway, we went. I went with him a week before Christmas in, this is the best part of the story, a Cinquecento, 25-year-old Fiat Cinquecento. And in those days, every car's license plate originated from the city it was registered in. So his license plate was it had the first two names of the city where the car is registered. So his license plate was M I and then the numbers. So if you lived in Rome, your your license plate would be R O, Florence F I, et cetera. So the further south we got in this twenty five year old Cinquecento People in these Lanchas and Mercedes and, you know, fancy cars would start honking their horn and giving a thumbs up like, I can't believe it. you're already down all the way to Calabria. Like, how'd you make it? And literally, I think the car was down to like three gears and it was <laughs> ratty-taddy. It's on my uh, picture on one of our podcasts here. Anyway, it was really, really fun to drive down there through Italy, through all the mountain ranges, through... Back roads. You could only drive this car on a back road. You could not go on a highway because it couldn't keep up. Keep off the autostrada. Oh yeah. So that's why all these people notice. Like, what's this ancient Cinquecento doing from Milano? Oh my God. Let's just say, aguri, complimenti. So it was really fun. And when we got to this teeny, teeny mountaintop town in Calabria, I'm not saying where it was. Nope. 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 Okay. Anyway, teeny mountaintop town. <laughs> Um, his family and all 49 people that lived in this town came out of the woodwork to stare at the American. Because I would think there had been American soldiers there in World War II, but they didn't really, you know, meet them. And none of them came for Christmas dinner. (laughs) So it was really fun. But then it dawned on me that very first day when I'm on this teeny mountaintop town that he might be mafia because the real godfather-looking type people. The old men came out really slowly. They didn't even look at me. And they did these really long kisses on each side of this guy's face, whose name still remains unspoken. A man will remain unspoken. Right. So I was like, interesting. These guys look like they're out of a movie, a godfather movie. So that is uh, probably where I'll leave that story. But it was worth it. And you made it back. We made it back, and uh, the friendship didn't last forever, but it was okay. No harm done. I'm still here. <laughs> Everything's fine. You're still scared. <laughs> no, I'm not. Well, I'm not saying his name. That's true. <laughs> anyway, so that was my Milano second episode, but I want to share one last little tidbit. So after we released the first episode on Milano, an old friend of mine a uh, makeup artist named Kathleen, she got in touch with me because she heard the episode last week. She got in touch. like, oh my God, this is so great. We had such a fantastic time, Milano, but you have to tell the story about Pino. I was like, oh no. So quickly, Juan and I at the apartment, the same apartment with the Zanzare and the... United you know, Nations. Ch- no, no, no. That's a, That was the first one. The okay. second apartment with the mosquitoes and... That Joel sh- sharing his sh- shaving his hairy chest yep. that apartment yep. on Via Meda. Okay, Juan and I decided to have a party, so we did, and it was just people we knew from, uh, you know, working and living there, a bunch of different nationalities, and it was fun. So all of a sudden, this man Pino that lived on the ground floor showed up and wanted to come into the party. And Pino, well, by the way. That's not his real name. His name is Alfonso. And we gave him the nickname Pino because he drank Pinot Grigio for breakfast down at John Carlo's bar every day. So he didn't know his nickname was Pino, but to us it was. So Pino shows up, wants to come in the party. I politely said, this is a private party. Sorry, Vivia, go Go back. 10 minutes, 20 minutes later, I don't know when, but all of a sudden I see Pino walk in the door with a gun, a little pistola. I was like what? Oh my God. And, and did I mention he's the only drunk I ever knew in Italy and he was very small and then he walks back into the party with a pistola. So the weirdest idea I've ever had in my life was to jump him. I figured the (laughs) only way I can handle this situation, control the situation is to jump on him because he was a small man and he had a gun. My God, what if he shot somebody? So I jump on him and I'm screaming for Juan, get the gun, get the gun, Pino has a gun. He's like, what? So with that, someone called the police, all our friends scattered, and I was left with laying on top of Pino, Juan got the gun, my friend Kathleen was still there freaking out, and Emiliano, you remember Emiliano with the restaurant Aldila, he was there and he said, you can't go to the Polizia by yourself i was like oh thank god could you come he's like no (laughs) (laughs) so he got his roommate marina this really nice woman to go with me to the polizia and she saved my tail because somehow in her rapid fire italian i don't know what she said but i didn't have any legal papers as we know to live there Somehow they never knew about that. She told them I was this hardworking American and really nice and Pino is the problem. And so Alfonso, Pino, got in a little bit of trouble for the gun thing. He had to spend a night or two. Marina and I went back home. But the next time I saw Pino, he was right back in Giancarlo's bar for breakfast, drinking Pinot Grigio. And he just glared at me for the rest of my days. And she also sent
1: you the clipping.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. From- so Kathleen somehow had the original uh, article from the Corriere della Sera, you know, Italy's main paper, the Milan edition, talked about the stranieri, the foreigner, un Americana, <laughs> female American woman who had a party with other foreigners. But there were a lot of Italians there, but whatever. And... Alfonso, whatever his name is, entered the apartment uninvited with a pistola. And it went on and on. And then they got my age wrong and they spelled my name wrong and they made me older than I was. So I was really, really <laughs> upset. But anyway, I um, uh, this is a shout out to my friend Kathleen, who now lives in Chicago. Thanks for reminding me and keep those funny stories coming because that's what Living in Milan in those days was all about. So, finalmente, our next episode will be about Lago di Como, Lake Como. I know you've all heard of it because it's so beautiful. It's very famous. But I spent as much time there as I did at Bar Magenta, basically. So I know so many incredibly special places to go and things to see. And there's so much more than the the average tour book or google search will tell you about and it truly is a dream lago di como so i'll share it with you in one or maybe two episodes probably two i think yeah Roma's right it's two. so special yeah okay and then you know eventually we'll get around the rest of the country but this is our start and we hope you enjoy it and we're happy to have you here Grazie tanto. hey it's tomaso if
1: you can see your way clear
0: It really would be
1: helpful if you're enjoying this. If you would post a review, whether it's on Apple or Spotify of the podcast, give us a few stars, whatever you think it's worth. And a couple of lines would be really good. It's really important to build an audience early in this. And uh, we'd like to try and get it up the charts with Apple. So that'd be great if you can do that. Thanks very much. As Kimberly would say, ciao, ciao.